My dad was telling us he's been uh, writing some stuff on uh, early American history and some of the different tribes of uh, Native American Indians. And they listed this one group, I believe it was the Comanches, and they said in the pivotal battles where they lost ground to the settlers or even the U.S. forces, they were much more familiar with the territory. They were much more hardened and skilled fighters. And every advantage at times was in their favor, and at times they won. <laughs> but when they didn't, and why they didn't over and over, was simply because, historians say it was simply because they had no structure of command and no order in their ranks. They were individuals in a common cause, but they were not ordered into any formation that would, that could, they couldn't be told, go over here and go over there. They, each man just did what seemed best in his own eyes. And we know that that concept is repeated in the early parts of uh, Israel's inheritance of the promised land. It says that there was no king. Each man did what was best in his own eyes. We know that that was the case at the beginning of the book of Judges. That was the case when Samuel came on the scene. And if we would be part of the army of God, and if we would ever hope to gain traction in this warfare of attrition, this warfare that we're engaged in, then we're going to have to recognize the orders of submission and command where God would speak to us and we could obey and go against our better judgment but trust His and accomplish great things in His name. Of course, it makes you think, perhaps like me, that of the man, the centurion who came to Jesus, he wanted his servant to be healed, and he says, you know, I too am a man under authority. He says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house, but just speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. And I say, to this one go, and he goes, and to this one come, and he comes. So he was, he was under authority, but he also, that, 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 that translated into delegating and, and using the authority that he was under. And he was wanting Jesus to exercise his authority and say to his servant or to his servant's disease, go, and it would go. Of course, we know that happened. When you get into the kingdom of God, though, if you're not a centurion, you're not accustomed to going in a way that's not your plan. You're not accustomed to submitting to wisdom or insight that doesn't originate in your own mind. Independence is exalted and prized above just about anything in this culture. But it's really a myth of independence. What does it mean, the word independence? It means without dependence. What a lie! What a big lie! Every person in this room is dependent. You're dependent in varying ways. You're, you're dependent on love from some. You're dependent on safety from others. 
You're dependent upon your grocery store when you walk in there and pull your potatoes off the shelf. You're dependent on the road signs that you follow when you speed at 70 miles an hour down the road. What if those road signs were wrong? How independent could you be? You're dependent upon the man who built this building, and I don't even know him. He's been dead for hundreds of years, no doubt. At least decades. You're dependent that he engineered these trusses properly and that they're going to hold the roof above your head. Now, you may think about it all the rest of the meeting, but you're dependent. Some of you are looking at those trusses for the very first time. You're dependent. Everybody's dependent. But the world teaches you to tap into this illusion of independence. The world teaches you that you can have your space. And they call that freedom. And you can pretend that you don't need anybody. And you're, you're prized and you're, you're praised to the extent that you separate yourself from need. But it's all just a big illusion. Go into the nursing homes. Some of you came from there tonight, no doubt. Go, in, go into the nursing homes and minister with some of these young people. And look at the strongest, how weak they've become. Look at the smartest, how simple they've become. You're dependent in the end. Someone's going to have to clean you and feed you. And you'll be sitting there with your chin trembling and your soup dribbling down your mouth. You're dependent. Amen. And the enemy of our souls is very aware of those areas of dependence. Because where there is dependence, there is an opportunity for exploitation. Think about it. If you want to go conquer poor old Castro, who's probably dribbling down his chin right now, what are you going to do? You're going to find out some place where he's dependent. You're going to find out his habits, the things he takes for granted, and you're going to recognize those as potential dependencies that you can exploit. You're going to find out that he eats cherries every night before he goes to bed, and you're going to try to interrupt that supply of cherries and mess with it a little bit, at least if you're not a Christian. That's how you conquer your enemy. What is a siege? except cutting off dependence. In the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is, as Paul said, speaking of the church, he said, we are complete in Him. The kingdom of God is not supposed to be the place where you pick up a little pill of feel-goodism, where you write up a an eternal life insurance policy so that you can live like you want, but if you die suddenly, you'll go to heaven. That is not a kingdom. That is a company, but that is not a kingdom. And if the church has become more like a life insurance company, then it's not a kingdom anymore either. It's a company, but it's not a kingdom. And it's in the business of offering specialized products to buyers, as we've been reading recently, 
But it's not in the business of inducting people out of one dominion and into the king dominion of Christ. We are supposed to be complete in him. What does that mean? That in him we have no needs? No, it means that outside of him we have no needs. It means that in him, in Christ, the body of Christ, we are all that one body. Not just in this room, but all those who are worshiping God, who are humbling themselves, who are obeying God with all their heart. We are all one body, and we, what we want to be is complete in that body. We want to look at all the areas of our dependence, and we don't want to deny them. We want to recognize them and say, yes, God, I can't live without that kind of emotional help, but let me find it in the body. Yes, God, I can't live without that kind of financial support and help if I fail, but let me find it in the body. Yes, God, I can't live without that kind of purpose and vision, meaning of life, but let me find it in your body. Yes, God, I can't live without a certain level of protection, but let me not find it behind the weapons of our warfare that are carnal, but those that are mighty through God. Let me find it in the body. Let me find my life and all its dependencies within Christ so that I can say, I am part of that people that is complete in Him. Everybody's dependent, but in the body we choose the people to whom we risk our soul. Some will sit down and they'll bear their soul to a counselor. I can't deny them that, right? I can't discourage that because the human soul is a needy thing. And just like the human body, if you don't feed the soul, you don't take care of the soul, you're going to die. You're going to break apart. And the world offers you specialists who will give you help for an hourly wage. But there is a comforter that we have. Amen? We don't need what the world has because Jesus has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts. And He has given us the gifts of love and the gifts of service so that we can be for each other what we need to be. You say, well, are you saying that there's nothing you would seek help for out there? Of course there is. But the things that my soul depends upon I want to find them in the body. I want to find them in Jesus. Because if I find them out there, then there is going to be a supply chain that the enemy might be able to exploit and interrupt. Amen. Everybody's going to submit. You don't like the word submission. But everybody submits. There isn't a person in this world who doesn't submit. Barack Obama is in submission. I could list all the things he submits to, but that's not my point. Everybody submits. Everybody. There's no exception. Someone says to me, I don't want to uh, submit to man. Come on. My family and I were, we were raised to be free thinkers. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, tell me about it. Well, you see... One woman says, we're feminists. We don't believe in submission. 
And if I get around my mom and my sisters and they realize I'm submitting to my husband, I just can't do that anymore. I mean, I'll feel like a fool. So I might act one way when I'm at home, but I'm going to have to act a different way when I'm around them. (laughs) That's nothing like submission. When you are controlled by the opinions of people, you are in submission to those people. Oh, yes, the submission is subtle. It's not overt. They don't come out and say, don't ever wear that. Their submission is, your submission to them is much more complete. They just have to look at you wrong and you'll never wear it again. They just have to clear their throat at the wrong time and you'll never say it again. You're in submission to somebody. But you don't know why you're submitting and you're not submitting to a higher purpose. We know we're submitting and we know why we're submitting. We're submitting because this fallen nature is antagonistic to the Spirit of God and all the promises thereof. This fallen nature that I live with, that I have to daily put to death, is implacably opposed to the Spirit of God and the mind of God, Romans 8 tells me. And so I submit because I need to humble this nature that I might receive grace. Because He gives grace to the humble. And where does that grace come from? 1 Peter 4.10 We all, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, should minister the grace of God in its various forms. That grace represents the channels of dependence. I need that grace that you have from God for me. I need that word. I need that love. I need that understanding. I need to be complete, but I want what makes me perfect to be only the grace of the Lord Jesus. And I as an individual will never be perfect, so don't quote me as saying that. But I am pressing toward that, aren't I? Aren't we all? So you submit. Amen. I don't submit. No? Okay. Let me pick out your outfit for your next meeting. And let's see if you submit. I mean, my little kids, my six-year-old, if her mom picks the wrong dress for her, she's very aware of it. (laughs) Very, very aware of it. And it's like, I don't want to do that, and I don't want to do this, and can I ask Daddy if I can do something different? And my little three-year-old, Sean, if the wrong shoes are suggested for the wrong occasion, it's like... No, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't want to wear these ones. I think, Jez, you're responsible for getting these ones. They have cowboy uh, (laughs) all over them. But anyway, he's already submitting to something. Now, I'm not saying it's altogether bad, but he's already willingly submitting to something. What is it? It's a perception of what's accepted by a certain crowd that he respects. It's what Jesus said. You love the praises of men. When you're three years old, they're okay because like, those are nice boots, Sean. But when you're 30 years old and you're still appeasing the same crowd and submitting to the same dynamics, you have become somebody's servant. Somebody's slave, indeed. Paul, in Romans 6, 16 through 19, says, whomever you present yourselves as slaves to obey... You are that one slave whom you obey. 
Show me a place in your life where you can't help it. Where you just, I could never do that. And that's a place where you're obeying. So I don't have to obey. I want to disobey. But in order to disobey, you've got to obey. In order to disobey this, you've got to obey that. Let's look at this for a second. This is Paul in Romans 2. God will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, he will give wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Did you notice what he did there? Those who are going to receive judgment in the end are not just those who did not obey the truth. But there are those who did not obey the truth, but obeyed what? See, to submit to the dynamics of sin is to obey. It's to become somebody's servant. And if you'll just get it through your head that you're always submitting, you're always obeying someone at some time, then it may be a little easier for you to choose Jesus instead of these base tendencies that you've been fighting for so long. Proverbs 18.1 He who separates himself seeks his own desires. He rages against all wise judgment. You can think you've separated yourself. You can think you're an island all unto yourself. But as John Donne said, no man is an island entire of himself. Each is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If Britain be washed away, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thine own friends were. So never seek to know for whom the bell tolls, but the bell tolls for thee. You're not an island unto yourself. There's only one place where we can choose our dependencies, and that's in the body of Christ. That's in that city set upon a hill. And you can put that city under siege. In the end, they will all gather around Jerusalem. They will be encamped around Jerusalem. So all the nations of the earth will be encamped around Jerusalem. I want to be complete in that city. I don't want my water source to be outside those walls. I don't want my food source to be outside those walls. And I'm not speaking naturally. I'm speaking spiritually. I don't want anything that I depend on for life to be outside those walls. I want to be able to look into the faces of people I know and can trust and say, my life is in Zion. I am complete. You want to be independent because the world gives you the option of meeting your needs through anonymous sources. You don't know the man who grew those potatoes for you. And you like the anonymity of that. See, here in the body of Christ, you want to let the needs of your soul be met. We go stand there. We come together and we sing to each other. You look into each other's faces and you feel the heart. Out there, you can just plug in an iPod and you can listen to the anonymous 
one who's meeting the needs of your soul. What happens when they start grabbing those cherries and putting little bits of poison in them? Do you know the man who wrote that song? Do you know the man who sung that song? How do you know that he's not adulterated the will and the word of God in his own life and that what you're eating of and enjoying is fruits that are polluted? Why do you think Paul said, know those who labor among you and speak the word of God to you? Imitate the faith of those who have led you in God when you see the outcome of their faith. Imitate it. You're not an island. Stop fooling yourself. You're going to survive only when you become dependent. But just choose your dependencies wisely. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance for you? Is that what it says? Paul is talking to somebody and he says, you got blindfolds on. I need your heart to see something you've never seen before. You're living in the midst of something that you're blind to, Paul says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Your feelings, your heart's feelings... They're still in darkness. You don't know what you're feeling. The lights need to go on so that you discern what it is that you're feeling. Listen. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Show me what I'm feeling, God. So that you will know what is the hope of His, that is Jesus' calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Does Jesus bring you riches? Does Jesus bring you glory? But is it you and Jesus got your own thing going? No. You will find the riches of His glorious inheritance only one place, and that is in the saints. Paul did not write and say, you, individual, are complete in Him. He said, we are complete in Him. Paul did not write and say, I have the mind of Christ, and so do you. He said, we have the mind of Christ. Jesus did not write, Jesus did not speak and say, whenever you want me, I'm with you. He said, wherever two or three or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The writer of Hebrews said, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially as you see that day approaching. You see the war out there. You see what's happening to your children, to your institutions. And it shakes you inside. You say, something's wrong with the world. Well, that's why you need to hear the voice of God saying, come out of her, my people. It's time to come out from among them and be separate. And I will be your father. And then John saying, If any man loves the world or the things of the world 
the love of the Father is not in him. Amen. Those things of the world are those streams of dependence that tie us to these things that are not of God. Those streams that the devil can exploit and poison to our harm. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Please listen carefully. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his might and strength which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Christ's feet, in subjection under Christ's feet, and gave him, that is Jesus, as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What on earth is he talking about? When Jesus prayed in John 17, he was praying for the protection and sanctification of his disciples. And you will remember that in the middle of his prayer, while he's praying for them, he says, Father... I do not pray for the world, but for those you will give me out of the world. God did not come and robe himself in human flesh to take over the institutions of this world. He came to build a church upon a rock against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. He came to build a city upon a hill, and beneath that hill is all the world still under the control of the evil one. Jesus stood on the Mount of Temptation and Satan showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory and he said it was all belonging to him and he could give it to Jesus. And Jesus showed no interest. He said before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would take up swords and fight. But then in Mark 9.1 he said, most assuredly you will not taste death until after you see the kingdom of God come with power. All those apostles died, but the kingdom of God came on earth as it was in heaven. Yes, it's not complete because our bodies are still groaning for the adoption. Our bodies are still longing for the resurrection. But the kingdom has captured my soul. The kingdom has captured my mind. The kingdom has captured my will. The kingdom has filled me with power because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's worship God. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. So don't say, I don't want to make myself vulnerable. You're going to be vulnerable. Naked and bare you came into this world, and naked and bare you're going to leave this world. The kingdom of God just gives you a chance to know the one you're going to be vulnerable to. Everybody's weak. Everybody's dependent. Be complete in Him. Amen. The kingdom of God is the only place on earth where He is trying to reign through His Spirit. I do not pray for the world. That's why Paul can say the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All he's trying to say is he's not trying to take over China. He's not trying to take over Russia. 
All he's trying to do is call people out of those systems. Come out of her, my people. Stop trying to save the world. I don't pray for the world. I'm praying for you. Come out and be complete in me. Amen. Come out and be part of a city set upon a hill that is not subject to siege. Amen. Come out. Come out. Come out. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus, God. Hallelujah. Amen. We know that we have passed out of death and into life. If we love the world, is that what it says? If we love the lost, no. We know we've passed out of death and into life if we love the brethren. If we've learned to love in real ways our brother whom we can see and not just claim a love for a God we cannot see. You're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to submit to somebody. You're going to have to let your weakness be seen. But here's a safe place in the kingdom.